Hi guys, welcome back to Revive School. Uh, this is Lesson 41, and uh, I'm Wesley. I'm part of the Revive Texas team, and we're going to be diving into 1 Samuel today. So uh, just want to recap a little bit about what you've been hearing. Uh, Kyle spoke yesterday about uh, Nabal and uh, how God just intervened uh, before he put his hands on Nabal and to a guy named Abigail. And so here we are jumping into chapter 26. Put yourself in David's shoes as we process 1 Samuel 26. Uh, what would you be thinking in his shoes? What would be going on to you? What emotions do you think you'd be feeling? And how would you respond? Uh, would you respond like David responded? Or uh, what can we learn today from 1 Samuel 26 and watching David really endure? Um, we've been talking about 1 Samuel being our thread, our theme is with his picture is David's the anointed. It's the anointed one and how we are anointed ones. And so as anointed ones, we have a responsibility uh, but I love the Old Testament. I love First Samuel because it's, uh, to me, it's examples. It, I can look back at men and women who have been before me, and I can learn through walking like they walked, and then I can apply that to my daily life. So that's what I want you to do today as we process First Samuel 26. And so also, you should have a good laugh today. Uh, I'm going to give a Georgia slang to some of these Hebrew words. And uh, if you're like, well, I never heard that before, you probably hadn't. Just keep going. All right? So you all ready? All right, so 1 Samuel 26, verse 1 says this, Now the Zephites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is, this, is not David hiding in the hill country of Hakalah? <laughs> Opposite, yes, Mon. And so as you see this, I don't know if you guys remember in, I think it was 1 Samuel 23, uh, here David is, he's back out in uh, the wilderness, and here the Zephites are they're actually telling on again. In 1 Samuel 23, this is the second time these guys have... Uh, have went to Saul and said, hey, ain't you hunting this guy named David? Uh, he's hanging out pretty close to the same place he was before. Uh, you need to come get this guy. And so in verse 2 it says, Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Zephah, excuse me, Zeph, <laughs> having 3,000 chosen men of Israel with him to seek David in the wilderness. So here uh, they, the Zephites go and tell Saul, and then Saul amasses his army, 3,000 people, uh, and they go to seek David out in the wilderness of Zen. And so sometimes I think as you just pause here, it seems to me as if we press it, process, as we move forward in these cities, uh, the enemy knows, he sees, he sees, he sees what's going on, and the enemy is relaying back to Saul what David's doing. Uh, but in the next verse here, I want you to see that God was actually speaking to David. And so Saul encamps in Hakala, and then, uh, but David stayed in the wilderness, and it says that he saw Saul coming after him in the wilderness. He knew Saul was there. He wasn't surprised by Saul coming. Uh, I really believe God was speaking to him. He was showing and giving him discernment about what was going on. David had eyes out watching just as Saul had eyes out watching. So verse 4 says this, David therefore sent his spies out to see what Saul had indeed come. And so verse 5 says, David arose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul was laying. And there was Abner, son of Ner, the commander of his army. And Saul was laying within the camp and the people were camped all about him. So I want to pause right here and I want you to put yourself in David's shoes. I don't know what time around this is, Saul's still trying to kill him. Saul's still trying to 
find him, snuff him out, uh, take him out. Uh, and the backdrop of this is pretty fresh where it wasn't just two chapters before where he actually had Saul in the cave when Saul was actually relieving himself and David spared his life. And Saul gave this lip service to him about this, that, and the other. And in my heart, if I was David, I'd think, well, maybe this is the time. Maybe this is it. Maybe Saul's going to get it. Maybe he's going to stop with this hunting me down like a dog. But here it is again. He's back. He's, I, I picture David up on a mount looking over this valley. Uh, he sees Saul laying there. They're asleep. He sees Abner, son of Ner. He's looking over this valley and all his enemies. There's 3,000 guys in this valley that he's looking at. And so if you process that me just a minute, what do you think you'd be thinking, Kevin? What would be on your mind if you're looking over this valley, all these guys, and you know there's one thing, they're there to get you? Here we go again. Here we go again. Has anybody been there before? Here we go again. I thought we'd already made it through this. What do you think some emotions that you'd feel? Tom, I'll call on you again. Give another shot. I'd say be the, here we go again. We have to gear up and fight again, escape again just do something again. I agree. I think sometimes uh, in the backdrop when our enemy comes to persecute us or whatever, we sense this tension of there can be fear. Uh, there can be anger. There can be resentment. There can be all kinds of things. Uh, there were some things that happened in David in the chapter before with Nabal that he had to kind of redirect and refocus uh, because he got rejected. But here we see him now. There's this, here, here, here's the guy again. He's hunting him down. And so, Kevin, it's all right. You want to go to Psalms chapter 37. This is a Psalm of David. Uh, and as I was processing this story today, there, this psalm has been kind of special in my life. Uh, there's several things in this that I love, but there's this process in David. This is a song of David. Uh, what do we do? What do we do when here we go again? What do we do when it's back in our lap again? What do we do when the thing that we're trying to get breakthrough through, it comes back on us? Uh, I think in Psalm 37, we can learn from David's song. Uh, I don't know if he sung it during this season, but I believe it's part of his life. Uh, I want to look at chapter 37, verse 1. It says, Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut off like the grass and wither as the green herb. And so my heart is, the man, as we process, as soon as you're jumping in this, what do we do when we see, can you imagine what David saw? And my tendency would have been, I would have been like, man, there's 3,000. There's only 600 of us. Uh, I'm going to cut and run. It's time to find me another place to hide. It's time for me to do something different. Uh, but David actually responds different because I believe uh, that he had been around this enough to tendency, our tendency is to fret. It's to uh, see what the evildoers are doing, to be envious of that. Uh, but I think sometimes what we got to do is we got to ground ourselves and trust in the Lord. What have you been hearing? What God's been speaking to you? Sometimes what you see, you can't react to what you see. You got to react to what you've been hearing. And so in this, in Psalm 37, David says, Hey, there's going to be times in your life where you want to fret. Maybe you want to get, uh, cut and run. Be fearful, but don't do that. Stand fast. Uh, don't be envious of this Saul and these people that are coming against you. Stand fast. Go to verse 2, Kevin. For they'll soon be cut off. And so as I process David looking over this valley, uh, I think in my heart there's this tension of what do I do now? What am I supposed to do? Here he is in my lap again. Let's see what he did. So verse 6 says this. David looked to, uh, it's, I want to say Abimelech, but it's not. It's an H there. It's Amalek, the Hittite. And there was Abishai, the son of Zerah, the brother of Joab. And he looks at them and says, who wants to go down with me to the Saul, to see, to get Saul? Or it says to Saul, who wants to go with me to Saul in the camp? And here Abishai says, I'll go with you. Uh, this is not the response I probably would have had on the hill. He sees them all and then all of a sudden like, I'm going to go. We're going to go down to the camp. There's 3,000 guys. 
Uh, we already have processed before about David's heart to not touch Saul, the anointed. I don't think his heart was to go down into the city, into the camp, excuse me, and kill David. I don't necessarily know he knew what to do, but here's what David didn't do. He didn't cut and run. He dug in. And he actually responded to what he was sensing. I believe with all my heart this whole process time, David is hearing from God. He doesn't know what to do, but I believe there was some nudge in his heart where God prompted him, go down there and see what's going on. And so here a guy named Abishai jumps up. Anybody ever heard of Abishai before? Yeah, Abishai may be a new name. He jumps on the screen. He was actually, uh, David had a sister. Her name was Zerah. And she had three boys, uh, at least three boys that I know of. Uh, one you may know of more than others is Joab. He was a commander in David's army. Uh, but Abishai was also, he was one of David's mighty men. You'll read some more about him later on. He was a pretty tough guy. Uh, these three guys are pretty solid. Abishai was one. You had Joab and then uh, they had a brother named Asahel, Asahel. It's A-S-A-H-E-L. I'll leave that one alone. But here we see, uh, these were actually David's family. They're his nephews. And so not only were they men that were close to him that he went into battle with, there was a family component to this, which we'll see later on that sometimes that's not an easy business. Uh, but the cool thing about Abishai was he was willing to go. Uh, he was a man of action and a man of faith. He didn't see Saul. Uh, he saw what God could do. And so here it is, two people on how many? 3,000. Uh, them aren't good odds, but when God's in your corner, you can walk by faith. And so, Kevin, if you go to the next verse. So here David and Abishai, they head down into the camp. Uh, verse 7 says, David and Abishai came to the people by night. Uh, and there laid Saul sleeping within the camp. His spear was stuck in the ground by his head. And uh, Abner and the people laid all around him. So I'm going to stop. <laughs> so they get into the camp. And here's this spear. Uh, had David seen this spear before, you think? A couple times. Yeah. What was actually, what was the spear doing the last time you think he saw it? Coming at him. Coming by his head. <laughs> Can you imagine walking up this guy and you see this spear in the ground and you think that not more than once that spear was flung at David to take his life. And here lays beside him Abner, which is the commander of Saul's army. Here's these two guys laying here. Uh, what would be your response? What do you think you would do? Uh, verse, verse 8 says this, Then Abishai said to David, God has delivered. He looks at David and says, Hey, it's our day, man. <laughs> Praise God. It's fixing to end. He says, God has delivered this enemy, our enemy, into our hand this day. Now, therefore, please let me strike him at once with this spear right to the earth. I want to pin him to the ground is what he's saying. And don't worry. I don't need two times. If you'll just give me this one shot, I'll make sure it counts. He's not going to move and we can get out of here. Uh, as many times as Saul has been here with David, has been here with Abishai as they've run and they've fled and they've had to hide and they've had to, uh, they've been all kinds of different things going on. Uh, it seems as if this might be the time. Uh, but as we know, as times before, uh, David responds differently. Verse 9, David said to Abishai, do not destroy him, for who can stretch out his hands against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? Verse 10, David said, furthermore, as the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him or his day shall come to die or he shall go out to battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch my hand out against the Lord's anointed, but please take now the spear and the jug of water at his head and let us go. Here they are, middle of the camp. Abishai says, take him out. David says, hold on. Uh, we can't do that. Who am I to touch God's anointed? David had made up his mind that he was not going to touch Saul, not the anointed. He was not going to shed innocent blood there that he was truly anointed. Uh, but here's something I think as I've been processing this, even with the story with Nabal, 
Sometimes for me, it's easier not to shed the blood of the anointed, but maybe a lot easier for, for me to shed the blood of uh, somebody like Nabal. Some guy that's outside that I wouldn't call anointed, that's a hard head, that acts like a fool, uh, who's really abrupt and rigid. And sometimes that's the guy I have the hardest time about uh, stretching my hand out against. But I want to go just real quick in Luke, Luke chapter 6, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus actually says some things to us. So sometimes this is even when I read this story, it's a foreign concept. Uh, when I read about this soul, man, I'm like, man, I would, it would even seem joyful sometimes just to plug him to the ground and say, hey, dude, you're done. Out of here. But what does God call us to do? Luke chapter 6, verse 27. What does God call? How does he call us to react sometimes when our enemies are hunting us down, when people that are rejecting us and rebuking us and doing things to us? What does he say? And so Luke 27 says this. Jesus said to them, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. To him who strikes you on the cheek, offer him the other one. And for him who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic. Bless him. Verse 30. Give to everyone who asks of you and for him who takes away your goods, don't ask for them back. And just as you have, just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. But if you love those who love you, what credit is it for even sinners love? those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is for even sinners do the same? One more verse. And if you lend to those who lend to you, what credit is it for even? So the, the deal is, man, it's not hard to love people sometimes that love you back. One more verse, Kevin. I think it's one or two. But love your enemies. Christ said it, the anointed one. David was a picture, I believe, of, if it's Christ, the anointed one, who is not responding to what he, temporary we would do in the flesh. No, he takes a different walk. He takes a different approach. He hears the voice of God. He has mercy on his enemy and he loves them and he does good to them and he, nothing in return. And so here he says, I'm not going to touch him. I could touch him, but I'm not going to. And he even says in verse, I think it's verse 11 here. It says, uh, I could respond. I could stretch my hand out against him. Verse nine says, but uh, I'm going to put this in God's hands. The Lord shall strike him. Or, his, or maybe his day will come and he'll die. Eventually, this guy is going to be out of my life. Why? Because God said I'm going to be king. God promised me. I know what Samuel said. I know when he anointed me, God said I'm going to be king. But the hardest thing in the world is we're walking in faith and not is us not doing it ourselves. We're not manipulating it. We're not forcing the agenda. We're waiting on God's timing and we're trusting him. Do we really trust that God's going to take care of the people around us? Do we really trust that God said, hey, I'm going to do this no matter what? Do I really trust God enough to leave Saul laying there when I could kill him and walk off with just his jug and his spear? My heart is the day that we would grow in that. But you've got to step back and you've got to commit your way to the Lord and you've got to trust in him. David had committed himself to God, committed himself what God wanted to do, and he trusted in God that he would bring it to pass. We've got to make our minds up that God said what he was going to do and he shall bring it to pass. So here we see David and Abishai. They're heading out of town. Uh, everybody's still asleep. Uh, one thing I did skip over in verse 12 was it says that God had put a deep sleep on them. I believe God had sent him in there and caused them to sleep. Uh, he was already moving in the midst here. They're cruising out with the spear and this jug of water, and they go up on this hill on the other side. Uh, so they put quite a bit of distance between the 3,000 and the two of them. And in verse 14, it says, David turns around and he calls back to the people and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, uh, do you not answer, Abner? Then Abner said, who are you and who are you calling out to the king? So as David and them get back to a place that's neutral, a place that they can actually rest, they look back over and they call out to the army in the encampment. And they say, hey guys, what are you doing? Anytime you had 3,000 people in camp, somebody is supposed to be watching. 
They had actually thought David was going to cut and run. They never dreamed that David was actually going to pursue them, especially two of them. But David actually did. And so he caught them off guard. And so here you see David talking to Abner. And he calls him out and says, You're not a man, and who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not guarded the Lord your king? For the people have come in to destroy. He pretty much gently rebukes Abner and says, Hey man, what are you doing to sleep? You're supposed to be protecting the Lord's anointed. Now, Abner's a guy that you've heard about a little bit, but I think sometimes we've forgotten about him a little bit. What do you think? Uh, Rich, this one's for you. What was the first time that uh, David had met Abner? Kevin, can you help him out? Was it when he's in the palace as a command? Because he's the commander, so probably when he was uh, fighting Goliath. Yeah, that's it. Go to 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 55. So here you see David and Abishai, they're up on a hill, or... It seems like they're in an elevated position. They're calling down to Abner, the son of Ner. And he's kind of like, who, who is this voice? He's, he doesn't necessarily hear this voice. Who are you calling out to the king? Who's this? Who are you? <laughs> and he finally realizes it's David. But what was the first time? So in 1 Samuel 17, 55, this is the first time that actually uh, Abner had saw David. It says, when Saul saw David going out against the Philistine, which was Goliath, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? So when... Goliath was taunting the army of God and they were fearful and they were all hiding and nobody knew what to do. David walks up on the scene and says, hey, who's this guy? Who's this loudmouth Philistine that uh, keeps taunting the army of God? And Saul took notice and asked Abner, said, hey, who, who is that young kid? Who's this little boy? And uh, Abner said, uh, I don't know. I don't know who it is. Next verse. And so the king said, inquire who this young man is. Uh, then as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul and the head of the Philistine in his hand. So here's what was going on. This is the first time encounter. I love this because it's a crazy picture. Uh, the first time Abner meets David and gets his name is he's holding the head of Goliath. He had slaughtered Goliath and Abner brings him to Saul and here he is with the head of the Goliath in his hand. And he's thinking, what just happened? This young man took one stone and we were all scared and running and he, here he is. He stepped out in faith and he slew this giant. And then you process through all those. Abner had to know how much Saul was trying to kill David. He was the guy pulling the trigger. And then here it is, roll reversal. David's there again. He's standing up on the hill. He's looking down and he's got the spear and a jug of water. Here this young ruddy kid's not so ruddy again. He's standing there with a spear and a jug and he's looking down over this valley saying, Abner, what's going on, man? You're sleeping on the job. You're supposed to be protecting the king. What, what's going on to you? There's this dialogue back. And, and I don't know how that struck Abner, but I bet he's thinking, what? What? I really feel like sometimes, man, God's putting us on display to our enemies so that he can see the anointing and the power of God and what's he doing. What's the chances of two guys walking to an encampment of 3,000 people walking off with a king's spear and water jug when one of the baddest guys in the country is laying right beside him? But here David is. God's showing him favor. God is walking him through this thing. And now I believe Abner and these guys are processing what, what just happened. And so it actually even shames them. Verse 15. Uh, so Abner looks at David and says, uh, David says to Abner, what's, what's going on here? Verse 16. He pretty much rebukes him and says, the Lord lives. You deserve to die because you've not guarded your master. You, you slept on the job. You deserve death. Uh, but you even see mercy there. Verse 17. Then Saul knew David's voice and said, Is that your voice, my son David? And David said, It is my voice, the king. Abner didn't know his voice, but Saul did. And so here you see this thing with Saul. Of, he he kind of gets this humble, weird deal going where he, he starts speaking to David. 
In verse 18, he says, Why does my Lord pursue his servant? Uh, for what have I done? What evil is in my hand? Uh, one thing that I've been processing is this, is resting in the Lord. How do we, in anxiety and all this stuff going on, you walk into the camp, and then he gets back up on the hill, and I think it's a season for him to step back, and now he says what? He starts speaking into Saul. There's this crazy thing that keeps going on and on. Not only does he spare his life, but he's trying to turn Saul. He's trying to turn the heart of Saul back to God to show him mercy. And on the hill, uh, sometimes I think people have took this don't touch Lord's anointing too far, especially in our context today, where people can say things and do things and false prophesy and all these things, but I can say, hey, don't touch the Lord's anointed, meaning you can't say nothing. Don't rebuke him. Don't say that. No. Don't touch the Lord's anointed mean don't put your hand on him physically. But David does what? He actually engages him with truth. He, he goes there in verse 19. He says, Lord, my Lord, the king, hear the words of your servant. If the Lord has stirred, if it's my fault, if the Lord has stirred me up against you up against me, if it's God's doing this, I want to bring an offering. I want to make it right. I want to I want to amend this thing. But if it's the children of men, if it's people around you, if it's not God, may they be cursed before the Lord, for they've driven me out this day from sharing the inheritance of the Lord, saying, Go serve other gods. Verse 20. So now, do not let my blood fall to the earth before the face of the Lord, for the king of Israel has come out to seek a flea, as one hunts a partridge in the mountains. And so David releases this somewhat of a picture, an illustration of uh, really what's going on. There's 3,000 people hunting David. Uh, why are you hunting me? There's this one flea, but you keep hunting me down. Uh, and he even talks about hunting partridges in the wilderness. The partridge, you kick him up, he runs to a different bush. You just keep following him. Uh, but why in the world does a whole army follow one partridge up into the mountains? It doesn't make sense. And so he's actually making appeal, just speaking life, trying to speak truth into Saul. to say, hey, what's going on, man? What, what, what's really going on in your heart? And so in verse 20, this is how Saul responds. 21, he says, what? I've sinned. You see this, you saw it in two chapters ago. Uh, Saul gets convicted about what he's doing. Uh, when the anointed one's around, he ushers in this presence, and Saul starts to feel convicted. Uh, he says, I've sinned. Return my son, uh, David, for I will harm you no more, because my life was precious in your eyes today. Indeed, I have played the fool and erred exceedingly. Second Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 uh, says this. It's one of the verses I think I don't hear a lot about. It says, Godly sorrow worketh repentance that leads to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. We keep seeing Saul. God encounters him with truth. The anointed one speaks it out. He's showing him mercy. He's showing him grace. Uh, but all Saul is coming with is worldly sorrow. He's just sorry that he got shamed. He's sorry that he looked foolish in front of his friends. He's sorry that uh, he hadn't been able to take David out. Uh, and the crazy thing is when he was in the cave, when Saul was in the cave, David cut his, uh, his robe. Uh, I read some stuff that Wearsby said that was symbolic of uh, taking the kingdom, the kingdom being torn from him. But here you see David holding his spear. The spear was authority. And so you even see this again. It's symbolic of David taking the authority away from Saul because he was walking in the anointing. And so you see Saul's heart. It seems to be that he repents, but we know later he doesn't. But here's what David says in verse 22. David answered and said unto, unto Saul, uh, unto the crowd, here's the king, come get your spear. Let one of your young men come and get it. May the Lord repay every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord delivered you in my hand today, but I would not stretch my hand out against the Lord's anointed. And indeed, your life was as valued much this day in my eyes. I valued your life, Saul, so much today that I would not touch you, even though you're trying to touch me. So let my life be valued much in the eyes of the Lord. And let him deliver me out of my tribulation. 
And then Saul said to David, May you be blessed, my son David. You shall both do great things and also prevail. So David went on his way and returned to this place. So you see this dialogue back and forth between Saul and David. And deep down in Saul's heart, you hear it. He sees it. I think he knows it's coming. He just don't know what to do with it. He don't know what to do with David because he continues to hunt him, to seek him. And David continues to respond with mercy and grace. He just tenderly responds in faith. And so uh, I just wrote down a couple things here at the end that what can we learn from this? What can we learn from David? Put yourself in his shoes. What can we learn as we're processing this story? First uh, Samuel 26. Uh, this is what I wrote down. In Hebrews chapter 10, 23. Uh, it's one of my favorite. Uh, with, it's he who promises faithful. God's faithful to his promise. It says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering because he who promises is faithful. There's a point in our life when we're walking with Christ that you grab a grab a hold of the faithfulness of God. If you think about David's life, I don't know what he was thinking when he was seeing Saul. I don't know what he was thinking when he saw the 3,000, but God had, had been working in his life. When there was a bear came at him, God delivered. When the lion came at him, God delivered. He was faithful. When Saul anointed him as king and Goliath was in the way, it didn't look like it. It looked impossible, but God was faithful. When Saul came and he throwed spears at him, God was faithful. When he was in the cave, he didn't take his life. God was faithful. There's this faithfulness of God. Even with Nabal and this other thing, David sought to put his hands on this guy and, and, and shed blood. And God said, no, uh, I'm faithful. And he faithfully put Abigail on his life. This faithfulness of God. If we're going to walk this thing out and we're going to live for Jesus and you're going to walk in your destiny, you're calling, uh, God's anointed you. You've got to know that he's faithful. He's always been faithful. And here's what the Lord's been speaking into my life lately is, Wes, what have I promised you? What have you heard? David heard God. It was Samuel didn't anoint the rest of the brothers. He anointed David, king. David knew what that meant. He, he spoke to him, you're going to be a king. But David had to walk this thing out. Even when it didn't look like it was going to happen, he had to be faithful. Even when Saul came against him and he could have manipulated, he could have forced his hand, he was faithful that what? God's called me to this. He's going to make it happen. I don't have to. I've got to learn to trust God and rest in what he's promised me because he's faithful. And so if God's faithful, then just don't force it. What is this business about not touching the Lord's anointed? What is this about these Nabals that are going to pop up in our life and, and, and reject us? And there's, I don't know about you, but there's tendency in my life to, I get riled up sometimes. It's in this bill, it's this confident trust in God that he's faithful, but also that he's with me. He'll never leave me or forsake me. Uh, and it's really backing up to this point that I believe uh, I'll add to a little bit to this. Who am I to touch God's anointed? Uh, my motto's changing this. Who am I to touch God's anointed or unanointed? What are some tangible ways that I can love my enemy today? What are some tangible ways that I can start praying for those who are persecuting me? What about this rejection that I feel sometimes with Nabal, with Saul hunting people down? Uh, how, how am I dealing with that? Can I shift that into a place of prayer? Can I shift that into something that's prosperous? How can I, uh, as David did, how can I hear the word of God, walk into the enemy's camp and trust that God, I'm not going to run anymore. God's faithful. And so it's sometimes the people that you have the, the most problems with, we run from it. What about if we ran to it? What if we just kept showing up? What if we know this unity piece that we're trying to see in these cities? What if we just kept going? I just keep showing up. They don't know what to do with me sometimes, but I just keep showing up. Why? I'm trusting God is moving. In my midst, I'm trusting God's going to do something. And so as you process David and as he's going through, it's getting close to where he's going to get the kingdom. But in that, my heart is this. Sometimes I think we've heard God, but we want it fast. We want God to give us the kingdom now. 
We don't want to deal with the Nabals and the Saul's and the Saul's and the here he comes again and here he comes again. Uh, we don't like this wilderness experience. But what if we realize it's just part of the journey? That what if we realize that, hey, you know what? Uh, I'm anointed. God is moving in my life. One day he said, this is what you're going to do. But David's preparation for the kingdom, I believe, was in the wilderness against Saul's, against the Nabals of this earth. And so my heart is this. What's going on in your own life today? God's faithful. He's always faithful. Just be faithful to what He's promised you, no matter what it looks like. Whatever comes against you, just walk in mercy. Offer mercy, not a firm hand. And so, guys, that's the close today. I uh, just want to say thanks for having us. I hope you're enjoying First Samuel. Uh, I love these stories. Uh, I love trying to figure out how this applies to my own life. Uh, but I'm not sure what Saul looks like in your life today. But I just pray that you'd have mercy on him. Thanks.